Hi, everybody. Um, with the world seemingly upside down these days and mass psychosis, it seems, setting in everywhere, one of the things that's happening is we're having to rethink our lives. And I know many of you have gone through transitions, especially during and after COVID, um, and are continuing to do that as the old ways of being, the old institutional jobs we could all rely on are just kind of falling away, and we're having to reinvent ourselves. So with that in mind, we're going to be talking with Ray Martin today, and I've known Ray for just almost 20 years now when I first met him, and he is a poster boy for unplugging from, quote, the good life, the successful life as a London businessman and going his own way. And he's going to tell us a little bit about that journey and what entailed so ray it's good to see you again yeah marvelous i'm so happy to see you reconnect after all this time i know we met in i think it was late 2000 december 2003 was it when you were over in something like that yeah i that, yes. um, that's right that's right 2003 late and december 2003 19 years ago we met that's exactly was, right that's really when your story began yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. It was, when I met you, actually. Yeah, exactly. It was just <laughs> about to unfold in a way I could never, ever have imagined. Yeah. So let's set this up just a little bit. Okay. So, Ray, um, you had a very successful business going with right. your former wife, Charlotte, mm -hmm. who we call mm -hmm. Charlie, and mm -hmm. we're very close friends with Scott Meredith, whom that's I married. Right. And that's why I have the name Meredith. And we started Conscious Media Network together. That's I met right. you, too, you and Scott. I met the same day in Sedona, Arizona, when your life had fallen apart and you were just a puddle kind of trying to figure out what's next. And you yeah. landed in Sedona, Arizona. We all met through our friend Paul. Yeah, that's right. I remember I remember writing about that in the book. And the way I described it was it was like standing in a hundred meter wide bomb crater <laughs> and just surveying the damage of my life, which had just it literally evaporated within a few days and weeks. I know it yeah. did and at the time we were hearing about it. And so you had, you had built a very successful consulting business. That's right. Business consulting business. And you and your wife, Charlotte, Charlie had built it together yeah. and then you started becoming that person, that kind of man that you hadn't bargained on becoming. You were starting to uh, bark at people a bit, age prematurely. You said side by side, you were looking more like your father than your father's son. That's and right. your wife clearly was not having her best moments. And ultimately, she ended up with another partner. So let's yeah. just pick it up with what happened to your life when it fell apart and and then really catapulted you on this this amazing journey that was supposed to have lasted two years, but lasted 14. Yeah, well, the first thing it did was it, it kind of sent me into a year of sort of depression and paralysis, if I'm honest. Yeah. And and in that year, I was desperately searching for a way to get answers to, to get myself out of it. I, I was really looking hard and talking to many people, reading books. And uh, I read this book which I think probably had the biggest impact on me, called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying, which is written by a hospice nurse in Australia called Bronnie Ware. And she said she, she works with people in the last few days of their lives and asks them all the same question, what do you most regret about your life? And she said of the thousands of people she's asked, they all say the same five things, no, no variation, slightly different ways, but the same five. 
And the number one thing that they say is, I wished I'd lived my life true to myself. Mm-hmm. And it really hit me like a bullet between the eyes. I thought, wow, you know, I knew I wasn't living my life true to myself. I was a really successful businessman. I'd won the Business Leader of the Year Award in England. I was very competent. But all the time I was doing that, I kind of felt I was living a life that others expected of me and not the life I really wanted to be living. Well, actually, you write about that in the book because when you were a kid, you watched other people who were living the life you ended up living ultimately as kind of a slave to your circumstance and debt and image and so forth. And at the time when you were young, you found that very depressing. That was not the life you wanted to live. No, not at all. I forgot about that. I forgot I even thought that. Yes. And and then I know there was a time in between where you were part of an experimental community in London Mm. where you all came together and used consciousness to uh, have successful business practices that you would all work on and develop together. Very cloistered, really a a lot around kind of uh, mind spring and positive uh, potential, Mm. human potential kinds of groups. And you guys were doing great. You were young and enthusiastic. So pick it up from there and how you went from that kid to this person in this this human potential group to being somewhat disappointed in what you'd become. Yeah. I mean, I remember as a child at school thinking, it's so crazy that people work their whole life, then retire and die a few years later, like literally within four or five years in terms of the people I knew. So I thought, I don't want to do that. I'm just going to work half my life and earn twice as much money in the first half so I can play and experience and have a joyful, wonderful second half of life. And then I I, knew, I only remembered I started, I had those thoughts when I was writing the book. I never, I, it never, I forgot, gone from my consciousness before then. But then when I um, was faced with the fact that the life I'd built was not actually the life that I wanted, it, it made me remember. But when we were doing that experimental organization you referred to, we had this sense of unlimited possibility and potential. And it was, yes. it was, a, it was a decade of pure joy and wonder for me. I, I absolutely, uh, I think it's probably the most expansive decade of my life. That well, one. I know a couple other people that were there with you and they yeah. felt that too. You guys yeah. did amazing things together. Yeah. So I came out of there. The, the guy who started that entire movement, he said, if you, any of you that are interested in creating wealth, and that was not everybody, just a few of us, he said, you're not going to do it working for me. You're going to have to go and start your own organization and kind of take what you've learned here and put it into action you, you know you're gonna have to replicate what you've learned in a real business and build a real community of people and grow people and do you're gonna have to do it yourself so i knew that was going to happen for me at some point and around about 33 34 i knew it was time and charlotte or charlie was was my girlfriend and she was also in that organization and so the two of us just colluded and said let's let's do that together so we left with this massive sort of mission to bring humanity into the world and transform organizations and people's lives in them and we it felt like we were on a crusade for several years and because of that we were very um powerful in when we communicated about what we were doing and businesses really bought into it plus we had several years of experience of working in a company that actually didn't deliver a, a service as well as it could be delivered and so we could see how we could improve the actual quality of the delivery of the service so with a passionate mission and improved quality we were on to a winner and what happened was after six or seven years of being really successful and creating money and jobs and growing the company 
we sort of forgot why we set out to do it and became quite obsessed with the material wealth and the money and paying off the mortgage and these sorts of things. And our attention just wandered, minded at least. I'll, you know, I can't really say it was true for Charlie, but my attention just wandered onto the material side of it. And I completely forgot my original mission for doing it. Well, you said part of your original mission was to make a ton of money. Yeah, that's you right. Did make a ton of money so that you could in actually enjoy the dreams you had rather than becoming old and then dying before you could live those dreams out, right? Yes, yes, that's true. That's true. And then so you obviously, set yourself up in a sense for that. Yeah, I, it was in my unconscious memory. Yeah. And so I was probably being, in a way, I think that happens to a lot of us. We're driven by beliefs we're holding that are below the surface and we don't know that they're the things that are influencing our decisions on the minor scale every day but they are and then suddenly something will help us reveal that to ourselves or see that and then we've got a choice do we continue doing that or do we want to change course slightly and that's that's what happened for me when charlotte said i'm i'm out i'm leaving yeah. right because that that impacted your entire life your marriage your home life your friends uh, your yeah. business, everything was, was everything yeah everything, yeah was brought under well fell apart basically yeah and that's right interesting, and this is just a little aside but i initially met you when you were on uh just after this had happened with charlie when you came mm. with meredith to uh, a little tour in america of the west of america yeah in sedona there was a similar thing happening that was interesting which was the um rajneesh osho the whole mm. Osho community, which you know, documentaries have been made about and so forth. And there's yeah, some misunderstanding around it, actually. One of the things they had done is they had set up businesses in Sedona that were run on very similar principles to what you did. Mm. Very high consciousness, where people mm. were impeccable with their word, where they supported one another. Really beautiful, clean businesses. And in fact, I met you at Osho Cafe. That's right. That's right. I remember that. Wonderful I, little coffee shops ever yes. by members of the Osho community. Yeah. Yeah. And and actually, I, I remember coming into Sedona because it it was one of the very early examples for me of, of noticing that when you set an intention, magic can happen. So I I'll give you some, I'll flesh that out for a sec. So Scott and I were in the car and we were on our way to, I think, the Grand Canyon. And we both said, we didn't really, really want to go to the Grand Canyon. We said, well, where else could we go? We said, well, let's go to Sedona because we seen on the TV that a, an old friend of ours was living there. And we knew he was there. But we thought, how are we ever going to find him? He's like in a city of 10,000 people or however many live there. I don't know how many there. But we thought we have no address, nothing, no phone number, no contact information. We hadn't seen him for 15 years. But we drove into town with the intention of trying to find him. When we went to the first shop we parked outside, we thought we might be able to get some help, like a crystal shop or a new agey shop. We went in and said, we're looking for this guy. He, he might be called Lawrence. He might be called Paul. We're not sure. Um oh yeah the english guy the painter yeah yeah here's his number everyone knows him we found him in 10 minutes <laughs> and at that time he was probably my best friend in Sudan. yeah so i yeah. would do shows in the morning for coffee yeah and exactly. the story goes and you continue the story <laughs> exactly so then you know like within five or ten minutes of the, you know he was there at the shop that we'd called from and to meet us and 
he said it, it was wonderful because he said you know now you're here you guys you know as much as it's a shock to see you after 15 years you don't need to be tourists you know i know people in the town we can meet some of the people that i know we maybe hang out with them etc and that's how we met you because he said i must introduce you to regina let's come to the cafe tomorrow and we'll we'll, we'll get you to meet and and the rest is history yeah the rest is history now yeah. from personal history that's when scott and i met and that's when yeah. we Conscious Media Network, which then was purchased by Gaia. And we started this whole streaming of conscious material literally yeah. within a year of that meeting, which was a big deal at the time because it wasn't being done. It was kind of before YouTube. Yeah, so, right. It was. Yeah, it was a big deal. And we yeah. we did that for seven, eight years together. Mm, and then mm. Gaia, you know, purchased CMN and the rest that the rest of that yeah. is history. And I remember sometimes on on later visits to your home where you were recording some of the interviews I watched yes. just in admiration of the two of you and what you were doing because you built such a huge community of viewers in you know I mean there was obviously a really unmet appetite for yes. that kind of information so yeah so that was our history so yeah. Now you have to contend with the rest of life. Your little familiarization tour with the U.S. is over. And now yeah. you have to start thinking about what are you going to do with your life? Well, I, I tried to figure out how, what do I do? How do I rebuild? How can I? You had to sell the business, is, right? Uh, no, but that was much later because no. I, I was first of all just trying to work out what were the next steps to take. Yeah. And I, and I couldn't. I was stuck. I couldn't see. I was visionless, et cetera. And I've got and a very old friend of mine said to me, if you've ever reached a place where you, you're stuck and you can't see anything and everything looks bleak, one of the things that I would advise is you go and help someone else for a while and put 100% of your attention on them. And just so when I remembered that, it coincided with a really good friend of mine in Australia. I found out she had cancer. Mm -hmm. And so I recalled with this in my thinking, I called and said, do you want someone to come and help you support you and be with you while you're being having your treatments and take care of you because i'd like to do that and she said yeah that would be brilliant so i flew to australia <laughs> with the intention of simply forgetting about my own problems and helping her and after the i'd done that for a month i visited another friend in another part of australia who said oh me and my mum are going to the theater tonight um why do you want to come with us so i did and we're sitting watching this play in the theater and about and halfway through in the interval I'm reading in the program about the play we're watching and it says we're going to audition for the next play in this theater. And it's an English play about a member of parliament. So it just made me turn to my two friends and said, God, you know, they should ask me to be in that play because I'm English. I would speak with the right accent. You're just being yeah. cheeky and joking. Yeah, I mean, cheeky and joking. I mean, it was a real experience as an actor. None whatsoever. And not only that, my sister-in-law is a professional actress and uh, Annie, who's one of the characters in the book, was a part-time actress as well. So I knew that that was a tough life and uh, and a competitive life and all that sort of thing. But my friends said, well, why don't you go to the audition at the theatre? We know the director. And I said, well, come on. I'm not an actor. I've never done any acting in my life. There'll be lots of people there. be way better than me. Plus, I've got clients in England who need me to be at home and work for them. And I need to pay my mortgage. And I, I'm stuck and I can't do it. And so they said, oh, OK, fair enough. Why don't you just go to the audition for fun? Don't try and even be in the place. Just go and enjoy it. You're still here. So I did. I went and I threw myself into it, Regina, 100% because I've been taught to always give things 100%. And you know what? 
at the end of those auditions, the director came over to me and said, I want a word with you. And I thought, oh, gosh, what have I done? <laughs> and he I said, know, it was fascinating because yeah. we were all listening from afar and said, what? Ray yeah. is now going to be an actor? Are you kidding me? Yeah. I, mean, I would be terrified of taking yeah. part on stage. Yeah. I mean, he, he, he basically said to me, look, we know you have no experience, etc., but you were perfect in the auditions. And with our support, we think you'd be the best person to play the lead character in the play. You know, 400 lines of script a night, kissing two women on stage, moving a dead body, the comedic element of the play. <laughs> and uh, I said, are you sure about this? Because I think you're crazy. But he said, no, we're sure, we're sure. So I called each of the clients that I had and said, this is what's happened. I know I made a promise to you and I never break my promises. I'll come back and work with you. But I'd really like your blessing to return to Australia and delay the work because if you give me your blessing, I feel like I'm being called to do this by God. I said, it just feels too weird to be a, a mistake. I feel I'm being called to do this. And all of them gave me their blessing. So I, two days later, I returned to Australia for three or four months and I was in that play. And it was fantastic. Changed my life. <laughs> I remember that. It did. You had levels of kind of confidence. And not only that, you were willing to... Um, take risks and explore after having put yourself on the line. When I talk about that sometimes with people I work with, the deeper meaning of it was quite powerful because what I realized, and I think it was because of the specific opportunity it was, which was I was being asked to, to become a character, to look, to learn the voice, the walk, the beliefs, the images. I had to become this character called George and I had three months to become him. And so every time I went on stage, I was going on stage as George, not as myself. And then when the whole play finished and I was about to fly back to London, I noticed this feeling of dread in my body. I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got to go back to being Ray the businessman in London. Mm -hmm. And it didn't feel good. And then I suddenly thought, hang on a minute, Ray the businessman in London is a character too. I created him and his walk and his script and his belief system i just didn't do it consciously and i did it over 40 years i didn't do it in three months i i just I suddenly for the first time ever saw it that way i'd never ever seen it before like that and then i thought if if ray the businessman is a character and i'm the script writer and the director as well as the actor which is something that tony robbins taught me um, then i can either change the character or i can just end the series i can kill off that series and just go and have a different life. And that's what really freed me. Yeah, a new, totally new character. And then the traveler and the life without a tie character was born. And that's what started me. Yeah. Which is the title of the book, Life Without yeah. a Tie, Double and Life Without a Tie. Yes. That's right. Life Without a Tie. And the tie of the businessman yes. and the ties of home, yeah. spouse, community of friends, and career, which are the four major ties that we all let determine our decisions. Well, and you had a beautiful home in London. Yes, I did. Yeah, in full right. area, just a lovely area, a lovely yeah. home, nice little courtyard in the back. So you essentially had to kind of disband everything. You got your life down to what was it about twenty two kilos between? Yeah, exactly. Case, you got yeah. rid of everything. Your everything. I realized that um, the one thing that would create the most freedom and energy for me at that time was selling the house. And yeah. if I did that, it would change absolutely everything. And so I sold the house, but then it left me with a new problem, which is what do I do with all the material stuff I've acquired over all these years? The house is packed full of it. And I, and I remember those guys called the minimalists, you know, 
Ryan Nicodemus and Joshua Fields Milburn. I think they made a film as well on Netflix, but they wrote a book about living as minimalists and they put all their stuff into boxes and left it in boxes in the hoy for a month and just monitored the things they actually used. And it was about 2% of what they owned. <laughs> yeah, we don't realize that. Yeah. And, and, but you pepper that through in the book about these trends. Yeah. Um, for example, that in the in 1950, I remember you wrote that the average square footage of a house was about 950 square feet. Yeah. Homes for families. That's what yeah. we all grew up in. And by the time you wrote you start writing the book, it was, I think, 2,500 square feet. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot more stuff. And of course, the storage industry has just been a booming. Yeah, that's true. What to do with their stuff as we are all starting to downsize now. Absolutely. So your process was extreme downsizing. <laughs> it was extreme and took a long time. It took me three or four months to list everything, picture everything, describe it, and find buyers or takers for it because I gave some of it away. But eventually, I got it down to a bag of clothes and a laptop, and that was the day that I was able to leave. Okay, so now you leave. Yeah. You, headed, you decide you're going to head. Why did you choose Chiang Mai? Why did well, you choose Thailand? And it's, then a great, it's a great question. Yeah. I don't want us to be a spoiler for the book because some of this is, just, you know, people will yeah. read. But uh, the short version is that when I was in London, working out how to sell the house and get rid of all the stuff. I actually started a relationship with a woman called Annie and she, she was great. And she had already in her life on her part, she, she was already going to Thailand and, and, and I said, okay, fair enough. Well, have a nice time there. Good to have met you and thinking we'd never ever see each other again. But then during the months that I was dismantling my life, you know, we got more involved and eventually she came to the view that actually maybe we could travel together and she suggested this to me and 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 so by the time that i left the two of us were intentionally going to go and travel around thailand together knowing it might not work out but that at least we'd have those first few months and we could explore and enjoy the travel and maybe go our separate ways and so that's why i went to thailand first and the two of us eventually got to chiang mai because we'd heard so many people talk about it and when we reached there, we thought, oh, man, this is like heaven, this place, heaven on earth. And we found out that we could both do our teach English as a foreign language qualification at the, at the university there. And it would take four or five weeks and it would enable us to teach. And we thought we might be able to do that while we were traveling and earn some money. And for me, I'd never been to university. So for me, it was like being able to put a missing piece of my life puzzle in. I got the chance to go and be a university student for a for a few weeks and i loved it i absolutely loved it so that's why we ended up in chiang mai and then we became part of the community there with other expats because chiang mai is a huge expat community well yes we in fact scott and i joined you there for yeah. weeks at one point and that's right what was interesting in prior to our even coming there is once you got there now you're a person with you have a girlfriend you're in Chiang Mai. There are other expats, but now the realization is settling in that you don't really have a purpose day-to-day yeah. -day anymore. And yeah. so some other people living the expat life right now, and the difference is one of them is still actively working. It's just that she has an online business. So she doesn't have that sense of feeling lost where others have had that same sense you had, because we all think yeah. oh, it would be great to live in, go live in a country where it's more affordable. But let's talk about what happened to you psychologically. Yeah. So what happened was for, for a couple of years, it was fine to be a tourist who was unraveling from this business leader role that I was in. 
and and doing you know being a life at a leisure even though the traveling was hectic but just essentially being a tourist but like i knew i would i i got to the point of thinking this isn't meaningful enough this is just actually getting boring getting on enough buses and seeing more markets and temples and gosh you know, i just sort of run out of road with that and then danny um took me to um a place for my birthday one year called the elephant nature park and i got there and i saw that this thai woman had created this sanctuary for rescued elephants and it was amazing what she was doing and these elephants which were brutally um treated by their owners were getting a new life in their in the wild again and they were being you know loved and having the natural life they they were meant to have and she was doing all this on donations on a shoestring budget and it just touched my heart and i thought god i wish i could think of a way of helping her financially you know if i could do something and then later on that year i went to a, a nepal with annie trekking in the himalayas and we organized a picnic for some kids at an orphanage in nepal and we saw with our own eyes how how much joy that created just from spending 25 dollars on a picnic for a day these kids were like so happy and I started thinking, wow, what can I do to help these things, etc. And then just randomly, Regina, uh, and I talk about this in the sense of life always sends you what you need. Randomly, this guy came across my path and he'd, he was a six times marathon runner. He was 10 years younger than me. I was nearly 50. And he said, told me about running marathons. And as he spoke about it, I, my imagination was going wild and I loved the sound of it. And I said to him, do you think I could run a marathon, Matt? His name was Matt. He looked at me and he said, well, you look quite fit for, for giving your 49. You know, I, you know, I think you could, yeah, but you'd have to train properly. So he said, I'll tell you what, I know why you're thinking of this. I know you want to do it to raise money and start a foundation. Why, if you stay here in Chiang Mai for six months, I'll train you to run a marathon. But that's the deal. And I said, okay, I shook his hand and said, right, done. Let's do it. You were and doing so I, when we arrived, you were training in yeah, the morning. Yeah. That's yeah. right. I was, so I, was, I went to this six-month intensive physical training program to get ready to run up my first marathon. Whilst in the rest of the day, I was doing fundraising to raise money to, to from sponsors to make the marathon be actually useful to help these things that I was raising the money for. And I got to the start line of my first marathon, which, as you know, was in New York City. Yeah, um, we we'll got you there to cheer you on. Yeah. First of November 2007, and you and Scott were both there, and a few other people were there to cheer me on. And I, I managed to raise about $15,000 from doing that run. And I took the money, physically took the money back to Nepal in cash, you know, their share of it at least, and, and said, What do you need? Because I was determined to make sure that every single penny that I raised got used properly and fully deployed and spent, and no one sort of was able to leak it out or something like this you know so, yeah right yeah, yeah exactly so i that was one of the things that i'd campaigned on with my donors i said i promise you that every single penny that i raise from you is going to be spent it's not there's not a penny coming to me and that was the case and i had to make sure that happened yeah. and the same with the elephant nature park i took five thousand dollars to them and they they were got over the moon they you they were used it to build a new concrete shelter for the elephants because the bamboo shelters they had the elephants were strong enough to keep pushing them over. And they oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and just adding on that, because we also went to the elephant sanctuary. I remember. Yeah. And, that's and right. I interviewed Lech Chilert, um, yeah. 
tiny little woman who'd done this Herculean feat of getting this space together for these magnificent animals. And I think you you can't go to Lex's place and not fall deeply spiritually in love with elephants. You can't. We were both there when little uh, Falmai was only. Oh, wasn't that amazing? And she, I remember she crawled up like a little puppy onto my thigh. I was down. Yeah on my haunches and she crawled up onto my knees and she rolled over and Scott was petting her tummy. Like she was a little, she was 300 pounds, but like she was a puppy and just the, the individuality of the personalities. And do you remember the auntie uh, who was taking care of the blind? Remember one female I do. Blind yeah. one and took yeah. her everywhere with her. Yeah. I mean, it was just, it was one of the most magnificent experiences of my life was to go yeah. there, thanks to you. And so I'm just saying this now because if people go to, if you belong to Gaia and you go mm -hmm. to the CMN archives, I think my interview with Lech Chylert is still available on Gaia. Oh, great, great. Fantastic. And yeah. What footage we all took together that yeah. day. That time. It's impossible to go there and not be moved, isn't it? You know, it's just brilliant. Yeah. And that you were able to do that for her was just yeah. heartwarming. I hope you're enjoying this video because if you are, there are dozens more like it on my site, all supported by people like you. So if you'd like to keep this work rolling in and join our community, just click on the Patreon button at reginameredith.com. That also gives you access to insider commentary, my live book club, and other live events with special guests. So join in. Thanks. So now you've run some marathons, you've, you've committed Great. yourself yeah. to raising some money. Now what? So, I, so, you know, that creating the foundation was really the first step of making the journey I was in meaningful, you know, with purpose and with direction and focus. But I couldn't run marathons every month. It would just be impossible. Plus, I had to take care of my, my own needs financially because I did all of that to raise money for those causes and I didn't take a penny. And so for two years, I was sort of leaving off my savings. And so I, and then the global financial crisis was happening in the background while all that yeah. was going on. And so, you know, savings rates were plummeting and my income was drying up. And I thought, oh my God, in a while, I'm going to need some money. So I thought, how can I bring myself as the new version of me from after all of this back into the business world? I don't want to be the old Ray, the business leader, but, but I have a lot of business knowledge and experience and an appetite for helping people based on what I've learned from this journey in the first five years, you know, so I, I really can see myself being valuable to people in the business world. So I sat down one day and I, you're going to laugh. This is so ridiculous, but it's true. This is really true. I thought, what do I really, really want? What am I looking for? Okay. I thought I want to do business coaching of business leaders in Asia. I want to work about 20 hours a month initially because I've got other charitable things to do. And I want to be able to do it from home. And this was in 2010, before virtual work was a thing. No one was doing anything virtually. It was all face-to-face. Yeah. -face. I thought, I don't want to travel to work face-to-face, -face, especially one-to-one -one coaching, for two reasons. One is it's, ex it's expensive for a one-hour session to fly somewhere. And two, it means buying lots of suits and ties and shirts that I don't want. <laughs> Well, they wouldn't fit in your backpack anyway. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, so that's what I'm looking for. I said, that's impossible. No one is going to have an opportunity like that. But let's see. Let's see. So I, I went on to LinkedIn and I, I fired off a message to a couple of coaches who were in, based in Asia and said, 
I'm new here. Um, I'm looking for this part-time freelance coaching opportunity. Who should I talk to? And they came back and said, there's only one person you need to contact. His name's Warapak. Get in touch with him. And so I did. And he said, are you coming to Bangkok? And luckily I was about a week later. He said, come and see me. I did. And I told him my background and what I was doing and what I was looking for. He said, okay, I can think of two or three people I can connect you with. I think are going to be useful. <laughs> Send me a profile. Do you have one? I said, yeah, of course. But I didn't. I made one up in the airport like as I left. <laughs> Sent him it. And the next day I got a call or two days after I got a call from a woman in Singapore saying, my name's Danielle. I've been told about you from Warapau. I've seen your profile. She said, we're a new coaching outfit that's just launching in Singapore. We've got tons of clients, but we don't have enough qualified and seasoned coaches. And, and we know you're not available more than 20 hours a month, but we, we desperately want those 20 hours a month. Can you, can you, and I said, one thing, Ray, we're not sure if you'll like this, Ray, but we're not going to do face-to-face coaching. We're only going to do virtual coaching. <laughs> I said, you're kidding me. You are. I couldn't believe it, Regina. The universe gave me exactly. I mean, it was like exactly the spec. By this time, though, you had started listening. Yeah. You had made it your decision that you were going to start living more through your feelings than where your head was taking you. And for Correct. a guy who'd been by this time, you know, when you're still in London, you were necessarily quite in your head. This was a bit of a switch to have to start trusting these nebulous things called feelings to guide you, which you've done splendidly by. Was yeah. it, what was that? that turning point for you where you learned that you could rely on your instincts and your feelings? Yeah, it was not one moment. It was a gradual process, but some of the key things that helped me move, you know, transform that in myself was when my relationship with Annie ended, which it eventually did after a couple of years, I, I saw that I was very impenetrable emotionally. I was what I called, she gave me a book called Undefended Love. And when I read it, I thought, oh, I was so uncomfortable reading it because I thought, oh, the guy that they're describing in this book and he's armored up and he can't just take any criticism, can't act on any feedback, you know, he's never listening properly. I thought, oh, that's me. That's me. So I was technically a good business leader and all those things. But emotionally, I was not the man I really knew I could be or wanted to be. And that book and the experience with that with Annie really drove that home. And so you might remember that I actually then signed up for a workshop that the authors of that book did in San Francisco and came over for a couple of days and did their workshop. And that was a massive turning point. Yeah. And then they, they recommended I also did another program called the Hoffman Process because they knew that helped people really dig into that part of their life and remove unwanted negative patterns of behavior if they did certain things. And so I did that program in England. Uh, about a year later, and it just was a massive release for me. You know, I I understood why I I was acting the way I did because it went right back to my childhood, and I didn't really understand how those patterns got embedded when I was much younger. It all happens when you're very when you're young; it's all unconscious, and you just you need something to help you bring it to your consciousness. But most people don't take the time and no. for that discovery but you did yeah, so I did. as this journey goes on because i'm not going to give away the whole book you know we've yeah. talked about a few fun points here um but you did all kinds of feats that everyone would put on their bucket list you know yeah you know you did you did the big ones yeah. and then you were left with 
okay, I've done all that. Okay, I've raised my funding for people. And you decided to go ahead and, and document what the journey was like. And I have to say, uh, A, you're, uh, I had read your blogs, but you're a really good writer. So yeah. I thought you did a beautiful job articulating a lot of emotion and a lot of the conflict of emotion that yeah. normally men have a hard time kind of getting themselves around. Yeah. I think you really did a beautiful job explaining the the internal journey that you went through to give your old life up and start a new ray. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for saying that. I mean, that was my challenge as a new writer. I mean, I've never written a book before. Um, and I had some great editors I worked with who coached me on helped me improve the how I was writing as well and sort of tap into the emotional parts of the story. Um, and and that I think that's the challenge with life, isn't it? You know, how much we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and share transparently that vulnerability with others, which creates trust, connection, safety, openness. It's beautiful, you know, but I wasn't in the habit of doing that. So Most people aren't in the habit of yeah. doing that. And what you just said really is the journey. You took a dive into the unknown and allowed yeah. yourself to be vulnerable in every respect. And people are so terrified of being vulnerable, so terrified yeah. of not knowing, of being made a fool of, of yeah. having something fail, all of which you did and I've done and we've all done. And yeah. what we forget is when we're when we're reading books and we're watching films and such, we fall in love with the characters in their moments of vulnerability, yet we yes. get those moments in our own selves. Yeah, that's right. We don't want someone to see us as weak or uncertain, you know. No. And you you did that, Ray. You really yeah. did. You did Thanks it with life. You did it with money. You did it with stature. You allowed yourself to be stripped bare in all of those ways. So, mm. because I don't want to give up all your adventures so people can okay. read the book, and it's fun. It's a fun read. Read for themselves. Um, let's now get to the point where, okay, you've you've mastered all the bucket list stuff. Yeah. You've the charities. You've got some of your business back. And now you're back in England. So, let's yep. talk about where you are now in life. You've launched the book. Now what's yeah. going to happen? Who is the next Ray? That's a great question. I mean, I'm kind of working that out one day at a time at the moment, if I'm really honest. You know, I mean, I know I should have a, probably a cuter answer than that. But I, I, I you know, I, I know I'm built to serve people who want to live life true to themselves. That, that for me, is, is the clearest I've ever been about my own purpose for being alive. So... I get most of my joy from seeing someone really find their true path. And I do that with friends, with my family, with clients, it, whether it's whether it's my paid work or not, it's my joy to do that work. So I want to do more of that. And the book was a way of me sharing how I found my own path. So, so to kind of flag for people what some of the things are in that journey. And it won't, it won't be the same for anyone else, but at least it gives a sense of the kind of things you encounter and the kind of thoughts and decisions that present themselves to you, etc. So I'm I'm wanting to do more of that kind of work with people who can have the impact, you know, with business leaders. I'm I'm working already in the UK, particularly at the moment, although I actually have one program where I'm 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 working with a global company with people in different countries, but mainly in the UK, where I'm working with business leaders to become better, more rounded 
leaders because my view of leadership has changed because of this journey uh, i used to think it was all about power and authority and kind of who shouts the loudest and things like this years ago but now i think being a great leader today is is about self-mastery it's like if you cannot lead yourself if you can't master your own emotions your own thought spirals when they happen your own reactions to things if you if you can't master any of that in yourself then you're not yet able already to be a great leader that, that that's part of the mastery of life and so i'm working with people who have been successful in business but still feel behind closed doors that they're just not the person they know they can be that they're actually um have things about themselves that they that they if they were really honest they 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 will want to change yes and one of the things i'm thinking of while you're saying this mm. is these same principles apply whether it's business or our personal lives yeah uh, being a being a leader is not a business role it's no, a lo- role in life yeah it is exactly and yeah. a lot of people watching this right now are women and it's a little different for women than men yeah. in that we always seem to feel not just connected to, but responsible for. Yeah, yeah. Other members of our family, our friends. And for us to just cut loose and say, I'm leaving y'all and I'm packing my 22 kilos and I'm out of here is oftentimes a little more difficult for women, especially if you've had children or you have aging parents and so forth. So what would you say within the context of maybe not being able to sell all your stuff and leave to still find that internal freedom for people who do have obligations in the world still to others? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a really good question. And I talk, I touch on this in the book because I, I was asked to, uh, include in the story what my own rules for being happy were and when i thought about that deeply one of the things that really struck me was that you know because you know the story of running the marathons well matt my running coach he made me first work on my core strength before i started training for the race because if you don't have good core strength the rest of your training doesn't work as well so we were focused on abs and core things and did lots of exercises to build the core and I think it's the same in life, like core strength in life as a self-mastered leader are things like knowing what your values are, knowing what's most important to you in life. This is very important information. If you if you have this information about yourself, you can make much better decisions. Knowing what your vision is, how does an amazing life look in your terms? How would you paint the picture? Knowing if you have a purpose, what it is, you know why you're here. Um, knowing what beliefs that you hold and really empower you because we've all got beliefs that we hold to be true in our head and they really make us behave great. You know, like I believe it's really good to be generous and people with that belief are generous and it really works. We've also got beliefs that limit us. Oh, I believe I'm not good enough or I'm not qualified enough or I'm not smart enough or I'm not old enough or young enough or whatever it is. Those are Those are the beliefs that really sabotage us. So you've got values, purpose, vision, beliefs. You've got what this guy, Sir Ken Robinson, coined your element. When, I mean, I think that's what you do, Regina. When, you know, when you're in your element, you've got your strengths, what you're really, really good at and what you love. And those two things intersect and that's you in your element. Yes. And so, and, and, and anyone who can move in their lives towards spending more time in their element is just going to be more blissful. 
Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. So I mean, I can go on and on, but those are some things yeah. I know to be true. I know to be true for me. And I've spent the last you know decade working with people to find out what those things are. But to, to find those out, you know, it's not easy sometimes. It takes going through a lot of sort of uncertainty and not knowing first and sitting with the questions. So in this time of change, then it, you said you're consulting with businesses. Do you also like chat with people who like someone watching this who says, God, I yeah. feel a little bit stuck myself and I can feel change trying to blow through me and I don't know how to get going. Do you talk with them? Of course. I talk to people all okay. the time. How can they reach you, Ray? What's um, um, the, the, I don't know. Um, I've got a website. I've got an email address. Which I'm happy for you to put my yeah. contact details on the site. We'll my email Email is raisebox at gmail.com. Okay, raisebox. Okay, so we'll go yeah. with that for now. Anybody yeah. that's thinking, oh, this is inspirational. I need to make a change. I'm, well, you I'm, make I'm, it yeah, exactly. Some, that's some- okay. I'm on LinkedIn as well. LinkedIn is the easiest and best way because on, on LinkedIn as well, you can see a lot of the clients that I've actually helped uh-huh. um, are, have, have written the stories of the work we did together on, the, on my profile. So oh, there's wonderful. a lot of there's a lot of stories about how what what value people have received there as well. So, yeah, that's well, a good point. I know you didn't expect to see any of this in your life when you were London's businessman of the year. I mean, I quite, yeah. quite, quite an honor. Um, yeah. And you didn't see what was going to be right around the corner for you at the time, which was very painful too. So right. I just want to say thank you for, I'm so glad that uh, I got a chance to know you along the way, and we've had some fun intersections along the way. Um, and I, I'm very grateful that you've written your book so that it gives other people a little bit of courage and encouragement and inspiration if they're feeling the winds of change at their back, and a lot of people are right now. Fantastic. Just so that people know, when they see the book, this yeah. guy on the cover, that's actually me. It's not a stock photo. <laughs> <laughs> no, I recognize you. That I was on the you. on the path on the way to Mount Everest Base Camp in the Himalayas. Yes, you did that yeah. one too. Yeah, so, Anyway, Ray, um, it's good to reconnect. It's been a while since we've chatted. You haven't changed a bit. You're just Thank as you. kind of uh, lovely and optimistic and open as you were when I first met you, which you had been blown wide open. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so lovely to see you. It's good to see you, Ray, and good luck yeah. uh, with the book. And I'm sure you're going to probably hear from some people that are looking for some change and want to know how to start. So Happiness. thank you so much, Ray. It's hey. wonderful to see you. My pleasure. Okay, everybody, again, Ray's book, Ray Martin, Life Without a Tie, which you can pick up on Amazon, or you can contact him through LinkedIn, or as he said, just drop him an email at raysbox at gmail.com. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on reginameredith.com.